Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Jesus, Teacher, and Me. This is episode number 71, and today we are going to be continuing the discussion on the chapter in Galen Barker's book, The Cross of Reality, where he discusses Dietrich Bonhoeffer's work on resistance and ethics. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, because we missed last week, a couple of weeks ago we talked about what does the Christian ethic have to do with us as Christians and when we are discerning the will of God and things like that. And this week we're going to really take another really take another turn. We are certainly going to be talking about the impact of the Christian ethic, but more so when you look at the reality of Christ, how does that impact us? And do we do we see a distinction between the two kingdoms, or do we, or or, or is the the church called to be? How would you describe that, Pastor Jim? Called to be unified together in one reality. There is one reality, which is the reality of the cross. There is no reality of the world and the reality of the church. There is one reality, right? Yeah, I think he's the author says here. He, probably paraphrasing Bonhoeffer, as soon as Christ took on flesh, that false distinction of spiritual and worldly is erased by his very mm-hmm. his very incarnation. So he entered the world. Yeah. Um, and and so because because there's no because there's no distinction, so to speak, between what is the world's and what is the church's, because it's all united at the cross there there's a lot to be said when it comes to the church and politics and the church and uh, human values and human issues and things like that which i really think that dietrich does well the author here talks does a really good job of talking about what dietrich's view of that and this is really the kind of thing that gets dietrich um leads to his, his resistance is what leads to his arrest and I know, Pastor Hill, you were talking off before we started. Do you want to begin just by talking about his resistance for a minute before we dive into the back half of this chapter, specifically talking about resistance? Rather than get drafted and end up in the Eastern Front with a rifle and dead, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he got him family name, you know, upper class. He was able to pull strings Mm -hmm. because in Germany, even under Hitler, the upper class still had pull. He got himself a job in Abwehr, which is equivalent of the CIA. Uh, What is the CIA in America? We do the spying outside of America. We do the intelligence gathering in foreign countries. Uh, I know that that's all kind of fuzzy nowadays, but that's what the Abwehr did. They planted spies, gathered information, and um, Bonhoeffer was... Uh, useful because he had all the church contacts in England and other places where he could interface with them. Uh, but as I was saying before the broadcast, um, it, to say he was a major resistance figure is, no, not really. He was a minor one, and in fact, if he had gone to the Eastern Front, everything else that was put in play to assassinate Hitler would have happened without him. He was a minor two-bit player. So it's because of how he ended up, how he died for his resistance is how why we remember him. But the actual uh, participation was low-level. 
Um, I don't think he was in the inner, inner circle of all the stuff that was going on. Um, again, but because he was martyred, that elevated his place in the resistance. So he wouldn't be classified as one who was in the assault to, or in the plan to kill Hitler. I would say he didn't know any details. Okay. He may not even have known the date or the plot. Yeah, because he's he's often attributed as someone who as someone who played a huge part in bring or in the desire to bring Hitler down. And that's a, I mean, people who don't necessarily know the history, don't necessarily know about that. They they kind of go with the flow. Had been a big player or medium player. Um, he would have been arrested in the first and second waves after the bomb failed, yeah. and he would have been executed outright, not sit in the jail until right. 1945. Yeah. That time in, in the jail uh, waiting, uh, in fact, he's executed almost like an afterthought by Hitler. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody else left that I need to? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I bought off too. Yeah, put him on the list. Um, yeah, he, he was not seen as a significant role player in the assassination. Okay. Okay. That's, By either that's, side. Yeah, I that's think. a good thing for I think for people to remember and to know that it's 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 like what you say, family of God all the time. Things are not always as they seem, right? So he wasn't as big of a player. He was a he was an intricate part of that, and he certainly preached resistance and certainly preached a lot of the things that that we have been talking about here on the, on this podcast and and the things that he has written have been vital when it comes to things like that but he it's you said I think you said it perfectly he wasn't on the inner circle and I think a lot of times that gets lost yeah he was more in the let me talk to my church brothers over there and convince them that you know that maybe if we got got rid of Hitler we could make peace or Mm -hmm. establish peace with a new German government or um, but no not directly in killing Hitler so that is not to say he didn't want him dead. Right. Just saying right. he didn't build a bomb. It, 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 he didn't deliver the bomb. Right. That it reminds me of. Um, did you ever see? Oh my goodness! Was that uh, the name of that movie? Gerard Butler was in it. Nick, do you know this movie? He was. He got himself into prison so that he could break out of prison to bring down. What was the name? Law Abiding Citizen. Did you ever see Law Abiding Citizen? Did you see Law Abiding Citizen? I would admit it if I did. Uh, <laughs> It was very good, but he says when he after he commits this murder and he's so he gets he gets framed framed for this murder he does the murder uh, so I guess he wasn't framed he actually did it but then he says he gives a confession and I put confession in quotes by saying that he wanted this person dead and they take him as they oh well that's it that there's your confession well then after he goes that's not a confession did I want this person dead of of movie. course okay. I did. You did see it? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's a yeah, great the movie. The guy who tunneled into the prison? Yes, yeah, he okay, tunneled into the see. prison and then and then got arrested intentionally so that he would have a way in and out of the prison and they couldn't figure out a way. It's great. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Because um, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good. So go and see it. All right. Everybody wears their clothes. Yes, everybody wears their clothes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's one of my criteria. Yeah, well, it's more than you can say for some of the shows that are out there nowadays, right? 
All right, so today we are looking at the back half of this chapter on resistance and ethics. Last week we talked about ethics. We talked about the the two realities. Pastor Hill, do you want to just remind everybody what the, these these two realities, or maybe Nick can remind what these? I think last week we or week before we asked Nick to do the two kingdom thing, but which is separate from what we're talking about here. So what's the, so the two realms is the idea that. God and the church and the spiritual have a specific realm in which they deal with and live in, and then there's a political, cultural, whatever you want to say, realm in which the church has no role mm-hmm. and God has no role. That is not the two kingdoms, okay? But that was the reality of the German church. So there's a fancy word on, let's see how good your German is. <laughs> I'll try to yes, say you it. Polak. <laughs> Well, he took German. That's on 372. (laughs) Oh, he's part German, too. We'll brag about that. (laughs) Uh, I can brag about being no part German, but it's called uh, Gleich Schaltung. Which page? 372, footnote 25, which is the idea that, that every aspect of the culture has to be brought into line with Nazi uh, ideology. Mm -hmm. Wow. It actually resonates with today, you know. Everything everything has to align with whatever the approved uh, wokeism is. Or science. Or, or for anything, right? It's yeah. just there is one truth. Everything must align with this truth. Until it changes. And, yeah, come on now. Give me a break. <laughs> and anything that doesn't align with this truth is uh, false. Right. But so. what's crazy about that, as we were talking about this earlier this week, the, the things that are true now were false a year ago. Yeah. And the things that were false a year ago are true now. Mm, so that's 1984, isn't it, where the poor guy is rewriting history <laughs> yes. endlessly? Yesterday's truth. Oop, got to make yeah. that go away. <laughs> yeah, and it's incredibly ironic that, yeah. uh, that 1984 is currently being rewritten. So, um, Just so we don't miss, miss this, so we're in the midst of, uh, yeah, well, we're not that far from the Ambassador Bridge, right? No. What, uh, five miles maybe? Yeah, Family God is not... Not even five miles, I think. But, yeah, what's going on there for people who are in far-off places? Yeah, those of you that are maybe are listening in California or South Dakota. I know I've heard from one listener from one of the Dakotas, one of the universities out there. Um, so you might be familiar with what's going on in Canada and the, 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 the trucker convoy and uh, kind of gridlocking some of these Canadian cities because of their outlandish and ridiculous COVID policies. Uh, One of them being, if you are driving a truck, you must wear a mask when you're alone in your cab, right? And all these other ridiculous uh, draconian measures that are being taken. And and they finally have said, hey, we're going to protest. Yeah, the truck drivers would say we're gonna we're gonna protest. We are going to uh, park our cars in the streets. We are going to not move and shut down the economy. Haven't you know? It, it's it's we were talking about this at lunch. It's a, it's, it was so nice to see a protest that didn't involve looting and setting things on fire. So what these truckers have done is they've essentially they they've made their 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 displeasure known. They have protested peacefully by making an incredible inconvenience for other people. But all of the all of that made its way to the bridges, where in, in Port Huron there's a bridge called the Blue Water Bridge, and in Detroit there's a bridge called the Ambassador Bridge, and I believe the tunnel also was yeah tunnel was, shut down the huh? tunnel shut down too. So all three main connections of Michigan to Windsor uh, or into Ontario 
which are the major trade routes for Canada right. into America. Uh, they they had stopped, and and I I'm here for it. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm like, hey, you, this is you guys have the right to do this. You are frustrated. You're fed up, and I think a lot of people are are fed up and frustrated. Where I was going pleasure. was because this is outside the ideology of the Canadian government. Oh yeah, these people are. Um, worse than terrorists, they're uh, gosh, they're almost revolutionaries, right? Traitors, uh, right? Well, people who bring them water and food and gas and gas, yeah. yeah, they're they're being arrested because you know what happened to nonviolent protest? Oh, I guess that <laughs> went away with yeah, they're not cool anymore. Yeah. Uh, they, it was just it was funny. I was watching, I was looking on uh, Instagram and uh, some of the other social media outlets that have been broadcasting these there's there are people that aren't truckers that are bringing gas cans there was there were people that who weren't a part of the of the convoy that were driving to whatever city wherever these truckers were and after wherever in ottawa whoever the um the person in charge of that of ottawa or i don't know if they call them mayors or whatever we said yesterday premier premier yeah uh, had banned honking the horn <laughs> and then people were literally showing up with air horns <laughs> on the uh, on the side of the road because they they were like you know what we're going to continue to we're going to continue to do this anyway point is this is just a modern it, um a modern uh, outcome or repetition of the mm-hmm. idea of we make must make all of society align with our ideology and so right if anybody steps out of line we got to hammer them back fast mm-hmm. yeah they can they can demonstrate shut down Wall Street. That's fine because that's part of our ideology. Right, right, right. right. Uh, so there's that idea. The Nazis passed laws to make that happen. You correct my pronunciation. You're, close. You're pretty, okay. you're pretty good. Yeah. Three years in Germany. I'm pretty close. <laughs> I can say beer and other things. Uh, what Bonhoeffer is talking about is the idea that that in the political realm, and I, again, I would expand it to the cultural realm. Um, the idea was the church should be silent. Mm-hmm. Um, we have nothing to say, which it says here on whatever page it is, two seventy-two. Hitler uh, welcomed that. I wonder why. Yeah. If you can't approve of what I'm doing, then sit in the corner and be silent. Yeah, he settled. Well, he settled for that. And what's but what's frightening about that is that that that's what a lot of churches did. They yeah. didn't. No. say anything and he's like okay if you're not going to say anything that's fine I'll give him a little bit of credit because there was some risk like real risk involved then I'm going to say today our churches are silent and there's nowhere near the risk involved Yeah, at least not in this country mm-hmm. the churches were silent and that was good enough for Hitler is my point yeah. He pref- his preferred was sign up and you know Advocate for me, but if you're not going to do that, shut up. Yeah. And uh, that was good enough. Just as a sideline, see if I can get husband of a teacher really irritated. Can't wait. You can't wait. Oh, I said this to my wife, and she freaked out yesterday. What do three men have in common? Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. The idea that the children belong to the state. Oh, I parents have there's nothing a, to there's say. A fourth, there's a fourth person that uh, I'm not going it. to say that. It's it's part of that overall alignment of everything to to support our uh, doctrine and ideology. So Bonhoeffer is saying that's a false position, mm-hmm. maybe an unethical position. Sure, that the church has to be, uh, yeah, one foot firmly in each realm. Yeah. Okay. 
and a voice in both realms. Dietrich talks about why this is so problematic. He talks about the this idea of the the different ideologies and the the, the two realms, and he gives a number of he gives two different reasons on three seventy two. He talks about he says for Bonhoeffer this was problematic for two reasons. First, it made it possible to talk about the separation of the church from politics with the implication the church had nothing to do with the secular world. The result would be to limit the church's role in the world. And when I for, when I read this first issue with this separation, I am immediately drawn to the the people who say that politics play no role in the church and that churches should steer clear of politics. We shouldn't talk about things in the church and my reaction is you should absolutely talk about things. I think I mentioned this a couple times on the podcast. Politics don't dominate your sermon because the gospel dominates your sermon. But you can't sidestep issues like this anymore. You, you, I mean, not anymore, ever. You have, to, you have to talk about very worldly issues because, as Dietrich goes on to say at some point, these are Christly issues and they deal with the reality of the cross. So that's that's one thing is that it the, the result the, the first reason that he doesn't like this this separation of these two uh, these two ideologies is that it implies that the church has nothing to do with the secular world which I don't believe can be any further from the truth. Okay. It's almost a monastic viewpoint. Yeah. Mhm. That we go into the monastery, we withdraw from the world. We're in our sacred space. We don't really much care what you do out there as long as you buy our Benedictine right. <laughs> or whatever liquor. No, I'm just kidding. But, yeah, we are separate from the world, and we have no input into the world. That's a monastic. Right. Yeah. So that, yeah. So that's the, f- that's the first issue that he has. The second one, as Barker writes here, he says, the second one could be led to view the church as a refuge from the world. Now, you talked about this last— yeah. Yeah, again, this is monasticism. You talked about this last time, and there is a there is a sense where the the church is a refuge. Can you expand on that? Being like that field hospital kind of a thing, just to refresh people. There, because there is a sense where you, where you come to church to to um, a temporary refuge. Yes, like a, temp- a real quick break, like you said to. You know, get refreshed and then go back out. You don't stay there, though. Right. That's the thing. Right, right. Let's, I don't, let's think of it as NASCAR for a minute. I Ooh. don't know anything about NASCAR, <laughs> but when they when they're circling around like mad and then they they spin into the whatever it is the pit, mm-hmm. the stop, change the tires and all that. That's only so they can go back out. Right. Yeah. Um, that's the role of the church. Do yeah. You, so you come in, get your tires changed, right. <laughs> change your fluid, bind up your wounds. You know. <laughs> Take a shower. Yeah. Thinking of my military past, never mind. Eat, sleep, <laughs> take a shower, and I'll leave out the other one, and then go back out to war. It's not so that you can uh, withdraw. Yeah. It's not your safe place. So. Right. So, in the distinction of these two realities, it implies indirectly that the church is this kind of place that you can't escape and. Escape is different than than being restored or resting because escape means that you don't come back, but resting means that you have every intention of waking up and going back the next day. But even if it were 
even if it were true that it was an escape, mm-hmm. like in 1930, 40 Hitlers, yeah, no, they come for you. Right. They don't leave you there. It's a false security, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, he's, so he says that at a time when the church's theologians, including Lutherans, were giving voice to such a stance while Hitler was welcoming the silence of the church in matters political, that's what you were just talking about, it was an issue that could not go unchallenged. And then he goes into a third problem for the separation of these of these ideologies, which I think is incredibly crucial for the understanding of why we cannot separate church from st- – there is separation of church and state, but there is really no separation of church and state issues. So even more, he writes, this was a denial of reality. By laying claims to the Christian confession of the centrality of the incarnate, crucified, and risen Christ, it was no longer possible to see the world in terms of rich, stark contrasts that existed in opposition to one another. To do so meant to deny God's reconciling work on the cross. And I, I think this was this was convicting this was convicting for me simply because um, I, I think when, when you try to when you try to make that separation of the of the two, I've never really thought of it in a way that by being by escaping the very things that that Christ came to address and the very things that Christ came to die for and to redeem by by escaping that and by not addressing that you are you're essentially you're denying that reconciling work on the cross i've never really thought about it in that way before in in the sense that he entered the fallen a fallen world with all its sinfulness and he just plunged into it right he did not do that so that we can sit back on a mountaintop like the transfiguration yeah, site. and build tents <laughs> let's build a booth yeah. <laughs> build a tent it right. is good up here uh-huh. let's uh yeah he says you don't want to to conceive of the world as an autonomous realm was to not deny the community that God has formed with it in Christ. Yeah. And then he says because of Christ, the church exists for the world, which I don't always think that we think of the church in that way. We're in the we are certainly in the world, but I don't know if we always think that we are for the world because the world is so. That's up. because we're trying so hard to keep the world out of our yes. stuff. Yes, we don't want to. We don't want to muddy the waters. We don't want to get too close. We don't want to yeah. inf- have the church be infected with the earth's poison. And yet, the thing about wading into the swamp up to my neck to save Nick. <laughs> to is, save Nick. To save Nick is I got to get filthy, and so I might sit on the shore and say, "Here's a rope." Yeah, but what if he's too far out? his problem <laughs> sorry yeah in, in other words you have to yep. engage the world as the world with all its uh, filthiness yeah yeah so that's unfortunate but it's also true yeah so tell us about the two kingdoms because i don't want anybody to walk away thinking oh bonhoeffer rejected the classic two kingdoms theology of the catholic church and the lutheran church and the reformation and luther what is the difference between these two realms? And if you screw it up, I'll fix it. Okay. Well, like you said, it's different than the two realms that we were already talking about. But the, the two kingdoms are, uh, you have the kingdom of the left and the kingdom of the right is how they're sometimes uh, talked about. And so the left-hand kingdom, the left-hand kingdom 
um, would be like the kingdom, the kingdom of this world, um, you know, worldly governments, authorities, powers, kingdoms, stuff like that. Um, and then there's the right-hand kingdom, which is, you know, defined as, as God's kingdom, usually the kingdom of grace, uh, which, we, which we see in the church. But the key point, the key difference is that these two kingdoms are not separate because we know that uh, God is still ruling over the kingdom of the left and still involved in the kingdom of the left, um, which is that worldly uh, government type of kingdom. B. Calvin, he's sovereign overall. Right. Yeah, so. Right. Calvinists yeah. say sovereign. That's, <laughs> you know, sovereignty. that's their magic. That's I can't explain it, but let me tell you about the sovereignty of God. <laughs> um, like the question the other day, and we had it again, we talked about it again this morning. What happens to the baby who is never born, therefore never had the first article or second article chance to know about God? Oh, God is sovereign. What does God do with them? He's sovereign. They go, God is sovereign. Uh-huh. Shut up. God's yeah. sovereign. Yeah. When you and I will say, you know what? God is silent, <laughs> which is quite different. <laughs> right. I mean, he is sovereign. I mean, he is almighty. He is all powerful. Yeah, but it's not the magic answer. That's, right. That's what I'm saying. So, right, right. So Bonhoeffer is describing two realms where God has nothing to do with one and everything to do with the other. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, one is, you know, autonomous really from God. Sometimes it seems like that. I, I'll give them that. Doesn't it seem sometimes like, Lord, if you're in charge of the kingdom of the left, could you kind of <laughs> take right. hold of the wheel? Yeah. Does to us sometimes it looks like it's not going well, and it's actually not. But that just reminds me of what other people, what the the men and women in the gospels when they say something along the lines of to, to Jesus, if you are who you say you are, then do this. And and we do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, then you'll end this ridiculous COVID pandemic. If you are who you say you are, then we then we won't teach transgenderism in our schools if you are who you say you are then then cancer won't be a problem in my parents life anymore or my grandparents life anymore or one of our members won't be suffering from alzheimer's anymore or anything or things like that we 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 say those kinds of things differently but it's all kind of the same it's very much the same flavor of you know just essentially doubting god and who he is back into the early 40s environment where we're talking about uh, we don't have anything of the equivalent of people being piled into rail cars and well we do in China but piled into rail cars and taken to be uh, cremated you know um, genocide Mm -hmm. there we have a church that is silent and I'm going to step away from Lutheranism for a second. The Catholics are, are the Catholic Church, the formal Catholic Church, was very uh, willing to deal with Hitler early on. Yeah. Get ready to save their parochial schools. They signed on to all kinds of stuff that later on came back and bit them. Mm-hmm. And many a priest went to his death in the camps. But initially, they cut deals with the devil, uh, trying to protect their their turf. So, and they probably didn't realize that they were cutting a deal with the devil at the time, oh, it, right? No. It, it, to me, it goes back to picking the lesser of two evils, right? 
but the lesser of two evils is not knowing that the lesser is actually greater. <laughs> well, but al- but also, I mean, because we use this argument all the time when it comes to voting and things like that. Well, I'm going to pick the lesser of two evils. Well, the lesser of two evils is still evil, right? Yeah. And and you have to realize that uh, the state is never looking out for the best interest of your children. They just aren't. If you pretty much the state is looking out for the interests of the state. But correct, yes. absolutely. And going back to what. Uh, what we were talking about before, this idealism. What is ideal? Well, it's ideal that my kids understand the quote-unquote benefits of questioning their their sexuality and urging our kids that, that transgender is okay and injecting our kids with, with this serum that is going to potentially be very harmful to them. Uh, putting a mask on our kids, and it, all because this is what the state says that we need to do in order to get to this ideal state, right? The state is, like you said, is only looking out for the state. Kind of sad. It's incredibly sad. It's pathetic, if you ask me. Actually, that people are so willing to give into this. So one of the, I'm, I'm thinking when my, my pastor, when I asked him about doing a life sermon, when I wasn't a pastor, then I was just on the church council. Why don't You're just we do, a regular layperson. Yeah. Why don't we do uh, life sermons on Life Sunday? And he said, that's a political issue. Right. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. That's a convenient answer. What it really meant was if I say something, no matter what I say, somebody's going to be angry at me. Yeah. So, therefore, I'm going to, you know, discretion is a better part of valor. Yeah. I'm going to talk about something else. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he was able to um, segment that, maybe not the best word, but to box that off in his mind so he could say, I don't need to deal with that because it's become politicized and therefore it's no longer an issue of conscience for the church. Oh, that's really convenient. Yeah. So, and and, and we, (laughs) there's a multiplicity of those kinds of things today that we are silent about or maybe talk to each other about, but we won't enter the public fray and uh, speak the truth with yeah. love, but speak the truth. Well, I've had, I've had numerous conversations with people um, over the last couple, of, last couple of months in particular as more and more data about a bunch of different things is coming out. And these are people who, when they talk to me, are willing to admit certain things and question certain things to me but whenever they get to their church or they get to their job they don't and there's this certain fear that if they were to bring that up then they're going to lose their job they're going to be publicly shamed they're going to be judged etc etc however you want to phrase that out of their own churches right run out of their own church oh yeah and oh how dare you question what we've been asked to do Romans 13 Romans 13 and and it's like well w- what is this actually doing to our kids what is it actually doing to our loved ones what is it why can't when did it become a cr- a crime to question things Dietrich says that this is the first obligation of the church is to question is to question the state when it comes to issues like this the first obligation of the church is to question the motives but it's a crime to do that now. Yeah. So that's, and I think that's why he doubles down here on the, uh, 
this two realms thinking and the rejecting of these this two realms thinking. And, and I love what he says on 374. Uh, when he says that the rejection of the two realms thinking finds its foundation in such an affirmation in order to affirm that Jesus Christ as the center of all reality, which I think hopefully if you are listening to this, you are a Christian, you are, maybe you are a Lutheran. I, I know there's a couple of listeners that probably aren't Lutheran and that's great. Um, I mean, it's not great, but it's great. <laughs> um, but in order to affirm Jesus Christ as the center of all reality, which I hope that we all confess to be the center of reality, he says that one cannot divide the world into separate f- spheres. In other words, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, if you confess that you are a Christian, you cannot have this two worlds thinking. You cannot think and believe one thing in one area. You can't compartmentalize. It's got to. It's it's all or nothing essentially. It's ever. It's all of who you are, or it's nothing of who you are. And we're at a point now where lines are being drawn in the sand, and you need to pick. You need sir choose this day who you will serve, and many people unfortunately are choosing the easy thing. So at this point, just again, this is 1943. The voice of the church is gone. Finkenwald's gone. Confessing church is pretty much those those that are still there have compromised every which way to stay to stay. Uh, yeah, we would say stay open, and so. As he's moving into resistance, it's in the face of the silence of the the external church is speaking into Germany, sort of. But within Germany, the church has is basically dead. And uh, of course, the church is never dead, but the institutional church is dead. They have no voice. Right. And uh, I think that pushes him towards pushed him towards the the other only other avenue was. Um, resistance or well, political action, if you want. Because um, he was forbidden to preach at this point. Um, Dietrich, you mean? Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure he wasn't alone. I'm sure most of the confessing pastors were either on the Eastern Front or uh, otherwise uh, silenced in some fashion. So in a real sense, the church's voice is gone. I can't say today that our churches, the LCMS, but others included, our voice is not silenced. It's something else. It's almost like a voluntary silence or a self-imposed silence. Or um, not, I'm not saying that some don't speak up, and including our Senate, but Basically, for every voice that's raised in defense of Christ, there's another Christian voice, I'm putting air quotes around that, who says just the opposite and claims authority because they too are Christian pastors or Christian churches or Christian denominations who no longer accept God's word as authoritative. Footnote, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you never hear the footnote. So whatever the issue is, the, the secular world can muster Christian voices to silence or shout down the uh, uh, the voices that are speaking God's word, and uh, and then vilify them and then radicalize them. I guess you know. What do you mean you're for this? Hmm. You must be a racist. You must be a homophobe. You must be da 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 da. Um, it's not necessarily canceling you out, but it's. Devaluing you, yeah. Yeah, 
right the devaluing you yeah heaven forbid you have a different opinion heaven forbid that you believe well, some German word again right like whatever it is. <laughs> right you're not an idealist you don't want progress well progress is a myth because if you are moving forward with the world you're not moving forward with jesus all these different things that they're telling you about progress and things like that it's all crap it's all to give you this idealistic mentality where to, to essentially uh, would you say to snuff christ out to get rid of these christian yeah. values and these christian viewpoints and these christian truths minimalize marginalize and then silence yes yeah and and I love I love what Dietrich says here because what what Barker's going to say on so he quotes uh, Dietrich out of um, out of his ethics and he says that Christ has died for the world. This is at the top of page three seventy seven. Christ has died for the world, and Christ is Christ only in the midst of the world. It is nothing but unbelief to give the world for well intended pedagogical reasons to be sure, which nonetheless leave an aftertaste of clericalism less than Christ. It means not taking seriously the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the bodily resurrection. It means denying the body of Christ. So giving, giving the world anything other than Jesus, feeding the world a truth, anything other than Jesus, is denying Christ, is essentially what he's saying here. And he talks about the, this perspective shaping it's shaped by Bonhoeffer's uh, theological view, which is, of course, we've been talking about this for the entirety of this podcast, you know, for however long we've been doing this, 70, 71 episodes. So that's, is that a, how many years, is that a year and a half? Yeah, probably. A year and a half. So we, we've been, at, we've been advocating for this theology of the cross, part of the reason why we've been doing this book, The Cross of Reality, but this idea of being centered in the cross, being tied, tying God to the world and the world to God, and just really taking seriously what it what Dietrich is talking about when he's talking about essentially giving the goods, which is the the, the sacrament, which is the the gospel, to the world, and any giving the world anything else outside of Christ, well, it's antichrist. It's actually hate speech to give them anything but Christ. Yeah, yeah. So back to the two realms for a second, because it occurred to me as you were talking, you know, the cross of reality, if you're dealing in the two uh, realms, the cross is only real in one of them. And in the other, it's myth at best, you know, or um, certainly it has no value or, or purpose or worth in the, in the, the sphere of uh, the secular. And uh, that's another danger, right? And the more I listen to this, thing, there's something, this is just me, there's something compelling about the monastic pull. You know, I am tired of this, sorry, crap. <laughs> is there a Lutheran monastery I can go check into and check out of the world? And, uh, you know, call me when it's the second coming, Jesus, because um, it's hard, um, and it's getting harder. Nowhere near as hard as Bonhoeffer faced, but yeah, it's getting hard because you get the sense no one's listening. Yeah. Hmm. Makes me feel like Isaiah. <laughs> right. We talked about that 
in the yeah, Bible class. Right, when Isaiah is called, here I am, send me, send me. And last week's uh, Percipes stopped at, here I am, yeah, send they me. they always stop there. And then the, the next five or six verses are, good Lord, if that's my job description, don't send me. <laughs> right, because what, essentially what God tells Isaiah is, hey, I'm going to send you. And, oh, by the way, no one's going to listen to you, and it's going to mm. suck. If you didn't get it, no one is going right. to listen to you. Not Absolutely no one. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you keep being faithful to the word. That's, oh, my. Which he was. He was. But yeah, that's got to be a hard road. Mm-hmm. So there is there is a pull. I mean, I admit it to, to say, you know, just give the secular world over to them and let them kill themselves off. I'll sit in the corner and laugh when the <laughs> when the stupid when the stupid ideas they have start conflicting like Oh, like they're doing right now. Yeah, like oh yeah. I'm all about trans rights. Oh what am I all about women's rights? Uh oh, oh what am I gonna do about this guy? Right. <laughs> who's swimming and I can't figure out which is which. Right. We're, my virtual signaling is all messed up. I don't I don't know what right. to say. You get you get so caught up in the virtue signaling that you end up you yeah, you contradict yourself. It, it, yeah. That this is what I've mentioned before. The the good news about the totalitarianism and communism and idealism and things like that, they eventually all consume one another, and, and that's exactly what we've been seeing in the last uh, the last particularly the last absolutely couple. true. But they have a tendency to consume millions with them, right? And that's the problem, right? Well, and there's still people who are going down with the ship, right? Yeah. And that's we, we see that right now. There, we've got about. 15 minutes or so left. I, I do want to ask you this question, Pastor, because I, as I was reading this, I put a question mark next to it, and it's in the middle of page, it's the first paragraph on page 378, because we've been talking about the this the warrior mentality of the Christian, and I've been I've been a big advocate for resistance for a while, and 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 um, and being a, being an advocate for. I mean, doing doing what God has called us to do, and, and resisting and fighting, and and then what the author of this book writes here, based upon an excerpt from Bonhoeffer, he says, because of Christ, the church does not exist to fight against the world. Rather, the church is only the church when it exists for the world. Can you flush that out a little bit? as you mm-hmm. sigh deeply. <laughs> Part of that is going back to his runaway coach thing. Yeah. Um, the second stage of that, uh, dealing with that is to care for those who have been run over by mm-hmm. the coach. So the church doesn't exist to fight against the world. It it does exist to fight against the those who propose evil and are driving the runaway uh, uh, coach or carriage, but it also exists to bind up the wounds of those run over, even if they're not part of their church. Which is why he says that the church exists for the world. Right, so earlier we said all those isms go away, and I said, yeah, but they take millions with them. Mm -hmm. How many people died because of Nazism? How many innocent people died because of innocent people because of communism? Um, they're still dying because of communism in China. Um, in America. Yeah. Ooh, did I, I didn't say that. So who is the enemy? I mean, in a way, the enemy is not everybody in the world because we mm-hmm. were sent to the world with the gospel. But there are people who are, I don't know, positions of authority, those who are 
using their power to inflict evil. Um, I know the whole world's fallen. We're all fallen. I'm fallen. But there are people who use their ideology, their um, power, in order to not just aggrandize themselves, but also to grind people down. Yeah. And uh, that's part of the church's um, ministry. I mean, poor Mother Teresa, why is she bothering about dying Hindus <laughs> with leprosy? My goodness. First of all, they're Hindus. Right. Well, but they're also people. They're people not bound for heaven. I know she had a plan for that. I right. understand that. Yeah, huh? But, you know, superficially from, you know, 5,000 feet, you say, yeah, if I have all this limited amount of resources, why don't I focus on the church and not on, you know. Right. But we're called to be Christ to everyone. Yeah. In that sense, I thought you were going to ask me about warrior mentality and uh, being a Christian warrior. We can do that too. First thing I would say, you watch the movies, and the hero is always nowadays what? One person (laughs) fighting alone, usually with superpowers, right? And, uh, And what is Christian warfare? We're in this together. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we can't do it can't apart do it. from each other, right? Right. And, and that's, it's important because um, it takes a lot of, uh, it's outside the norms of our normal Christian religiosity to have relationships where you are ready to be going into battle with another Christian brother. Usually, you just kind of barely know him. <laughs> Or, yeah, he sings too loud or, you know, but the kind of warfare that's required here requires uh, an intimacy that doesn't uh, come in a worldly sense very often, right? So I'm not recommending this movie, but I was talking at lunch with Nick about watching the movie Fury, which is about a tank crew in a Sherman tank, which, by the way— Which you said was the most realistic. Yeah, having— spent many years in a tank. I know it was real. Mm-hmm. But they were they were in a sense yeah, they were in five individuals. But they were in a sense they were one. Okay. They functioned as one. They functioned for each other and uh yeah, I think we need to recapture that in the church because we're going to have to we're going to be embattled and mm-hmm. as we if we stand alone I say this at Via de Cristo. The Christian who stands alone falls alone. Yeah. And so somebody's got to have your back. Yeah. Well, the uh, the, the preferably con- somebody who actually has your back, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not the guy who says I have your back. Yeah. Well, that concept of the brotherhood, I think that that often gets that kind of falls on deaf ears at times. Podcast. Let's talk about the feminism, femininity of the church, or whatever it is, feminization of the church. Yeah. Yeah, but that reminds me. Have you ever you've seen Friends? I hope. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about that guy from Mars Hill. He, oh, oh, I mean, he you could do that. To, he I, wanted to masculinize. Yeah, the church. Pastor Mark Driscoll. Yeah, no, but I was thinking of um, in, in, a, in a slightly humorous sense. One of my favorite uh, sitcoms of all time is Friends, and there's a there's an episode where where Chandler is or all the all the men. 
So Ross and Joey are trying feminist things. Ross is putting on makeup. Joey is doing like face masks and things. Watch the show. <laughs> and at some point, Chandler's just like, where are all the men? <laughs> and I feel like that that's where we've landed as a church too. Yeah. Where are all the men? Where are the fighters? Where are the warriors? I, I don't want to. I don't want to go into that. I don't want to go into that because I don't want to have the the rise and fall of the family of God. Um, so we've got ten more minutes. Well, seven minutes. But I want to. I want to read this paragraph, and I want Pastor Hill. I want your raw response to it because you've already closed your book. Close your. You are not on the right on the same page. So I'm on page three eighty. So if you're following along the book, you can read this. So this paragraph reads like this because I, I I circled it and I wrote on the at the top resistance, and I want you just to give your. Uh, your just flat out opinion on it. Nick, you can certainly get involved too. It says, as a logical conclusion to his thinking about God in terms of a uh, cross of uh, theology of the cross, Bonhoeffer claimed Christ over the world of social reality. And because one finds God in this world in the midst of horror, the church cannot avoid addressing the concrete problems of the day. In the face of an assault on basic human values such as truth, justice, and freedom, the church is forced to become the protectors of such values, which is part of part which is part and parcel of its proclamation of Christ. The church does this because Jesus Christ is the origin of such values. Rather than being viewed as an attempt by the church to expand its influence into the worldly or secular realm, defending such values is part of its confession of Christ. Well, <laughs> can you say get raw? you said raw? No, that's I, the very first thing that came to mind was where is the church in terms of opioid addiction? Mm-hmm. Oh, while the government is providing crack pipes for people? Oh, that's a different drug. Oh, okay. sorry. But we are in, in, you know, in a lot of ways we're silent because that's a problem over there Yeah. with those people, except it isn't, right, because it's actually right in our own congregations. But we are essentially silent about that um, and the brokenness that comes with that and Boy, do we deal with that, not as much mm-hmm. as we once did, but we still deal with uh, what it does to families, to individuals, to their health. Um, yeah. The long-term threat, even when they when God rescues them from the, that addiction, how, how perilous the path forward is for each of them. Right. But we have other fish to fry in the church, I think. But how many, just to be crass for a minute, how many people die from that compared to COVID? Oh, don't ask that. Question. It's at least ten times. I'm in fact, I'm you know I'm of the age where oh my gosh, fifty four thousand people died in Vietnam last year. Yeah, guess how many die from opioid addiction? Mm-hmm. Like twice that now, yeah. maybe more, but nobody cares because. And there's lots of issues like that. That's the one that popped in. We we'll say the right words, but we don't want to um, don't want to be involved with that. Well, to me, it just it just goes it just goes to the these ideas of truth and justice and freedom. I, if if the church is well aware, and I think that we're kidding ourselves if we think that we weren't aware of infringing of Christian freedom and things of the like, 
I, I really think that we're fooling ourselves and we've hidden a lot behind that over the last uh, couple of years. And there have been, while we've been focused on one thing, there have been, like you just said, there have been so many other issues that have been going by the wayside. And to ignore those issues is to ignore Jesus, is to ignore issues and, and values that Christ has valued and, and inst- not, not instituted, but uh, as, as Barker says in the book, they're the origins. These human values are the origins. And if we see humans suffering with, with whatever, whatever it may be, whether it's addiction or grief or social underdevelopment or whatever whatever it may be we have as the church we have the the calling to step up and to resist and to fight for those things as Bonhoeffer does and as citizens too we have rights that oh, we yeah. exercise so I forget the number, but you know, just in the last week, I read somewhere. Well, it looks like the number of illegal drugs crossing the Mexican border is three times what it was two mm-hmm. years ago. Well, traffic, human trafficking is at an all-time high. Or hmm, that's another thing we're silent. Yeah. Or dang, if fentanyl isn't in every last illegal drug now, mm-hmm. well, how did that happen? Breaks our hearts. Um, there is so much, so much uh, that we could. We can't fix everything, but yeah. good Lord, we can please lay on. I'm sorry, you may cut this out, but honestly, your building program is not that important. Nor is your parking lot. <laughs> or or your new roof. And it's not really, I'm sorry, glorifying God. It's glorifying you. While your brothers and sisters, maybe not of the faith, are dying all around you, maybe you could get five more years out of your carpet. Right. <laughs> Even if there are a couple coffee stains in it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least they're not blood stains. Oh, that's true. But yeah, our, our that's what we got rid of our carpet. That's an impolite. <laughs> that's an impolite. Yeah. Now we have tile. Impolite way of saying sometimes our values are askew. Yeah. Yep. And that. Speaking of askew, we are going to skew on over to the next uh, chapter of this book called Imprisonment, and I think this might be the last chapter that we spend on this book. Uh, Dietrich ends up for many many of you many of you probably know this. Uh, Dietrich ends up going to prison for his uh, his his standing up, his resistance, his minor role in resistance, his minor yeah. role in, his, in resistance, his unwillingness to to bend his knee and to cave into what the government was asking of him, uh, essentially telling him to shut up. He said no uh, because there were people dying, and he wanted to make sure that people knew. Uh, what the truth was and that landed him in prison so we're going to talk about that next week thank you all for joining if you haven't had a chance yet make sure that you go to our website www.fogdetroit.com you can also we would also ask that you would also put up a uh, a review on the whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast on that helps other people that are looking for truth that are looking for stuff about Dietrich Bonhoeffer stuff about Christianity things of the like helps them find that a little bit easier you can be a, a vital role in that. Thank you, all of you who continue to support us. Who don't, to even if you to don't us. agree with us, you should be thinking yes. when you hear some of the things that are. Yeah, I don't. We're never trying to convince somebody. I, we just want to tell you uh, what truth is, and you can choose to believe that or not. But I think ultimately, what we really want is for us to continue discussion. So talk about this with people. Talk about it with, with people that have different viewpoints. Have conversations and. But ultimately, always remember that truth is not what you think. Truth is not what I think. 
truth is not what Nick thinks or Pastor Hill thinks. Truth, Wait a minute. I thought truth is what I feel. Tr- it, truth is not what you feel. Oh, truth. Dang. Truth is found in God's word, and truth is God's word made flesh. Jesus Christ, who says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So we bring this to you in his name. And as always, we leave you with this. If no one has told you yet, God loves you. And so do we. We will talk with you all next week about prison. Have a great week, everyone. Talk with you next time.